Our scripture reading this morning is found in Psalm 10. If you're using the Red Bibles, it's page 547. Psalm 10. Let's hear God's word. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak, who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts of the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. He is haughty, and your laws are far from him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, Nothing will shake me. I'll always be happy and never have trouble. His mouth is full of curses and lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush he murders the innocent, watching in secret for his victims. He lies in wait like a lion in cover. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He covers his face and never sees. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, He won't call me to account? But you, O God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it to take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evil man. Call him to account for his wickedness that would not be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them, and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. This is the word of God. Good to see you all this morning. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that as we think about it together this morning, 
we may gain a, a fresh appreciation of your grace and of your goodness and of your rule in this world. Enrich our hearts and our minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you seem hidden in times of trouble? That's a a common question. It's a question which I suspect many of us have asked uh, at times. Um, It's a question which I think particularly troubles um, Bible-believing Christians because we believe in a good God. We believe in a God of love. We believe in a God who rules. And yet when we look at the world around us, we struggle sometimes to see evidence of that. For some, it's not a problem. Atheists don't worry that God seems hidden because after all, for them, God isn't there. Others uh, see God as hidden because in the end, they see him as a vengeful being. He's the unmoved mover. And he's hidden to you because, well, frankly, you're just not that important to him. And there are others who would say, well, God is everywhere. He's everything and in everything. And all you really need is enlightenment. But for us, we sometimes struggle with the question, why do you seem far off? Why have you hidden yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 10 is closely linked with Psalm 9. Uh, they, they go together. In fact, in some ancient manuscripts, they're uh, one psalm. They complement one another. Uh, the, uh, psalm 10 continues the acrostic that's begun in Psalm 9. Psalm 9 focuses on the triumph of God and on the judgment that's to come. While Psalm 10, David wonders about this troubled present age and struggles to reconcile these two ideas. He's taken with the boast of evil people. There's kind of staggering arrogance behind these boasts. And you can summarize their attitude in four statements, really. God is irrelevant, verse 4. You can run free. There are no restraints. It doesn't matter what God thinks. If God is ultimately irrelevant, then I am free to do and to say whatever I choose to. Verses 5 to 7. I am untouchable. Nothing will shake me. I will always be happy and never have trouble. Later, Bible writers would reflect on this perspective. For instance, Peter would talk about how unbelievers interpret the patience of God as meaning that there will never be erecting. David also struggles because it seems to him that evil people um, think that God doesn't see what's going on. Verses 8 to 11. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He covers his face. He never sees. God doesn't matter. I'm untouchable. And even if God did matter, he can't see me. So I can do what I like. And the final boast, as David sees it at least, verse 13, God won't judge me. 
Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? This is not necessarily the the boast of the atheist. Some people never philosophically deny the existence of God. They just live as if he doesn't exist. These are the inevitable boasts of those who are too filled with themselves, too proud to seek God or to obey him or to listen to him. There's no room in their thinking anywhere for God. And David describes the almost inevitable consequences of a society populated with such people. He hunts down the weak, verse 2. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord, verse 3. Your laws are far from me. He sneers at his enemies, verse 5. Verse 7, his mouth is full of curses and lies. Threats, trouble and evil are under his tongue. And then verses 8 to 10. He lies in wait near the villages from the ambush. He murders the innocent, watching in secret for his victims. He lies in wait like a lion in cover. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. These words were written around 3,000 years ago. But they have a familiar ring to them, don't they? They sound quite contemporary, at least to my ear. Because the powerful still prey on the weak. Economically, rich societies demand cheap goods. So companies go off to um, poorer countries and pay subsistence wages and use child labor. They go to poorer countries so they can get round environmental legislation. Some landlords keep pushing up rents, not because their costs have risen, but because they can. They force sitting tenants out so they can put up the rent even more. Powerful dictators kill their own people and use money that was given for food aid to buy weapons. Human traffickers put desperate people in leaky boats and launch them into the ocean. That which is evil is applauded as good. Those promoting perversions are labeled progressive. Those of us who hold to biblical standards, well, we're just backwards and afraid of change. God is irrelevant, if he's there at all. He's nothing to say, and probably doesn't see what's going on. And in any event, he can't touch us. We won't judge, and neither will he. People complain, but nothing ever seems to change. If this psalm thus far has made you uncomfortable, I suspect that was David's intention because he was uncomfortable. He was grasping with what he knew about God, what he believed about God. And and grappling with the reality that he saw around us. And I think we have to as well. 
Maybe this psalm is designed, at least in the first part, to make us uncomfortable. Because that will make us think. But finally, David begins to get some perspective in all this. And his great affirmation of Psalm 9 begins to take hold in his thinking once again. And he reiterates it at the end of this psalm. Listen to Psalm 9 verses 7 and following. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. David is coming to realize that the prosperity and the apparent invulnerability of the wicked is ultimately a short-lived illusion and the indifference of the apparent indifference of God is not real. The Lord reigns forever. And David understands that this is, this is a present reality. It's not a future aspiration. It's, he's not saying that the Lord will come and reign. He's saying the Lord reigns now. And then he gains a little bit more perspective. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 14. But you, O God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it to take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evil man. Call him to account for his wickedness. That would not be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. Defend the fatherless and the oppressed in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. And it makes me wonder, Could it be that God sometimes appears to hide so that you and I will be driven to faith? Someone has defined faith as betting your life <clears throat> that God is there and that he is all that the Bible says he is. And if you think about it, you'd have to say that faith wouldn't be necessary if God were always fully visible, if his ways were always clear to us, if we always understood what he was doing, where is the need for faith? If the wicked were zapped by a bolt of lightning every time uh, they stepped out of line, wouldn't it be great? You know, there are times we're tempted to think that, aren't we? You know, but then you stop and think, where would he start? You know, who would get the first bolt of lightning? And of course, the answer would have to be, well, he would always start with people who are just a little bit more sinful than me. You know, 
you think about it, you realize it doesn't work. Where would he start? Where would he stop? But I wonder sometimes if God doesn't seem to hide, to drive us to faith. That stubborn, persistent confidence which believes and trusts and clings to him when every circumstance screams doubt. When you get to the end of this psalm, you realize that the why of verse 1 is unanswered. As is David's appeal in verse 12 for God to arise. David comes to realize that the troubles and the questions that he has can be faced because he doesn't face them alone. You, O God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it to take it in hand, verse 14. You hear, O Lord, and desire the, and desire, let me start that again. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and oppressed, in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. And so his appeal in verse 15, for God to come in judgment, is actually an expression of faith. It's not an empty hope. However far away that judgment may be, God hears and God strengthens the afflicted. In the end, nothing has changed for David. And yet everything has changed. Somehow, through all of this, he has regained that larger perspective. At the beginning, God seems hidden. By the end, God is the encourager of the weary and the one who will, in time, right all wrongs. He is the one who does see trouble and grief, who does respond to the cries of the afflicted, who is the God of justice. Evil will not triumph. The wicked will be called to account. Of course, David doesn't see any of this in his lifetime. But we see how God came as one of us, entered into our experience lived through the turmoil of a broken world, suffered the abuse of sinful and arrogant people, shared the pain, endured the hardship, experienced the heartache of that moment when the Father seemed hidden to him. And he cried out in anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God not only saw, God came, God acted. Why does God seem to hide? Well, of course, in one sense, he doesn't. 
It's a matter of perspective. And let's face it, ours is so limited at times, isn't it? The darkness of our surroundings and our circumstances sometimes cloud our vision. So I would suggest to you this morning that God doesn't hide from us so that he can't be found, but so that we will look for him where he may actually be found. God doesn't hide from us so that he can't be found, but so that we will come to the end of ourselves. And we find that when we get to the end of our rope, God is there. He shows himself to be the true source of hope and of help. I remember many years ago hearing the testimony of a Christian who had endured enormous persecution throughout her life, had lost everything. And her perspective on it was quite simple. I never understood that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. Sometimes God appears to hide so that we will come to the end of ourselves and see him as our ultimate, our only, our unfailing help and strength. And I think too, God sometimes hides from us, not so that we won't find him, but to help us sort out what's really important. And as I've said, to help us choose faith. See, to understand what's truly important for David, and this was David's experience here, was not to have all the answers, but to know that he was held by the one who held all the answers in trust for him. A couple of years ago, I came across the lines of a poem that had been written on the wall of a cellar in Cologne during the Second World War. It was a house that had been used to hide uh, Jewish um, Jews hiding from the Nazis. Just three lines. I believe in the sun, even when it isn't shining. I believe in love, even when I don't feel it. I believe in God, even when he is silent. I think David would have approved of that. A couple of hundred years after David lived, another man of God wrestled with God's ways, wondered what God was doing. 
And he records this conversation he has with God where he questions him and God answers him and God's answers only seem to deepen his trouble. And then Habakkuk sees something more of God. And his conclusion is the same as David's. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes in the vine, though the olive grape crop fails and the fields produce no food, that there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me feel like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go to the heights. Let's pray. Father God, work in us. Help us to always find your light in our times of darkness your joy in our times of sorrow, your grace when we sin, your riches in our poverty, your glory in our valleys. Amen. We're going to sing another hymn now, When Peace Like a River, written by a man who also wrestled with these questions. When peace like a river attendeth my way.